Today's episode of the Immaculate Podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Steelers tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting. And buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. You're listening to the Immaculate Podcast with Tim McMaster and Ed Bachette. On the night Bill Cower was placed in the Steelers Hall of Honor, the team took his advice and they won one game. Welcome to the Immaculate Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Ed Bouchette, our Steelers reporter here at The Athletic. And Ed, they got one. They're one and three now. It was a 27-3 win over the Bengals. The Steelers look like a different team. We'll have to get into how much of that was them and how much of that was the Bengals. But just big picture, how big was this one win? Well, it meant everything, Tim. I mean, they lose 0-4. You're not coming back from that uh, historically. Um, but the division is helping them as well. Um, they're 1-3. You'd think, eh, that, that's not very good either. They're one game out. Um, Baltimore and Cleveland are 2-2. Two and two. Baltimore comes in here next week to Heinz Field. If the Steelers win that, uh, there, there could be a three-way tie for first place because the Browns have to go out to San Francisco on a Monday night game. So a three-way tie at two and three is a distinct possibility. Of course, the Steelers need to uh, take care of what they can do Sunday against Baltimore for that to happen. Yeah, that's a big one coming up, obviously. And, hey, the NFL loves parity, and they certainly have it in this division if that ends up being the case. But um, they went from a team that could have been 0-4 to a team one game out. It's a pretty amazing turnaround with one win. We're going to get into both you know, the offense, the Wildcat, the, the weird plays they were running on offense. But let's start on the defense, Ed, because this is a defense that was able to get to the quarterback. They were able to force turnovers. All the things you want to see from the defense, they did it. Now, the Bengals' offense struggled as well. Let's start with the uh, the pressure, though. They get to Andy Dalton eight times. Um, everybody was getting to him. Bush got to him. Uh, Watt got to him. Hayward got to him. Uh, six different Steelers were able to get to the quarterback. How much of that is the Bengals' offensive line, and how much of that is the Steelers starting to click on that D-line? Well, I think you have to give the Steelers some credit, but that that, that may be the worst offensive line in the league we saw in, in the Bengals Monday night, Tim. Um, but still, uh, again, you have to give the Steelers some credit. They um, they did get to him, like you said, eight sacks. Um, they pretty much contained the run. Uh, they came up with a couple turnovers, which, you know, that was an emphasis uh, going back to the spring because they got so few last year, and it's coming to fruition. Uh, uh, they are getting more turnovers this year. Um you know, uh, Cam Hayward, who seemed to be off to a slow start, uh, had two and a half sacks to lead the way. Um, it was uh, it was a pretty good uh, turnaround for them. 
And the turnovers came in big spots. Obviously, the interception in the end zone to, to stop a drive and then a fumble recovery uh, while the Bengals were driving as well. I mean, turnovers are important wherever you can get them. But when the other team is kind of knocking on the door and you can do it, it I feel like it just adds that much more to a, as far as a momentum swing goes. Yeah, you know, it actually started, Tim, uh, when the Steelers turned the ball over. Deontay Johnson lost that fumble on their second offensive series. And uh, Bengals come in and take over at the Steelers' 15, and you're going, oh, boy, here they go again. Uh, the defense held, and the Bengals wound up with a field goal, and it turned out those were their only points. But Dupree had that fumble you mentioned on a sack, and T.J. Watt recovered. They were in Steelers' territory. And that interception, really, that interception came on fourth down, so um, it it – uh, it was going to be the Steelers' ball either way, but certainly Mark Barron picked that off and had a really a comeback game for him. You know, he had just uh, one tackle the previous week in San Francisco, even though the 49ers ran the ball 40 times. Yesterday, he led the Steelers with 11, eight solo. Yeah, Barron was really good. And you talk about other individual performances. You mentioned Hayward, the two and a half sacks. TJ Watt had one and a half sacks, but it seemed like. That didn't tell the whole story. I mean, he was in the backfield throughout the game, um, wreaking havoc, really. Uh, it, I felt like watching that game, T.J. Watt was the best defensive player in it. Um, did you, He seemed to really almost lead this defense on Monday night. Yeah, you know, he's been – this is his third season. He made the Pro Bowl last year. He got off to a good start his rookie year. What, he had uh, 20 sacks through for the first two seasons. Um, he's – He's the real deal, and um, it's a good thing because they don't have a lot of depth there. Anthony Chicklow, their number three outside linebackers, hurt, missed his uh, second game, and they um, uh, Watt has really come on for them. So you know, overall, I thought they were all they all played well. Um, you know, they missed a couple interceptions too. I, they could have had two more interceptions, Tim. You mentioned um, stopping the run, although they actually the Bengals had 73 yards rushing in the game, and they actually came into the game only averaging 42 a game. But that being said, every game is obviously different with game plans and all of that stuff. You felt like they were pretty solid against that Bengals running attack. I mean, the Bengals did nothing through the air. Yeah, no, you know, even though the Bengals have not been good, Joe Mixon has given teams trouble, and... Um, you know, he did have, uh, he had 52 yards, I'm looking at it here, 62, sorry, on 15 carries. It's a little over four yards of a rush, but he, he they, they, the Steelers have been giving up, uh, especially last year, a lot of big plays, and they gave up uh, none that I can remember last night. Um, the longest reception was 23 yards. Uh, Mixon did have a 15-yard run, but uh, nothing that really... Um, gouged them at, at all. And uh, well, Tyler Eifert dropped a, a pass in the end zone he should have caught. That was um, that was their biggest threat. This is a Bengals attack that obviously has a first-year coach, um, and they, they just struggled all around. Andy Dalton is a guy that has had moments in his NFL career. He's had, had stretches of leading this team. 21 of 37, 171 on uh, Monday night. He had a pick and, and no touchdowns. Um, I'm giving the Steelers credit. They played great, but this Bengals team 
really seems to just be all out of sorts and going nowhere. Is that is that fair to say that when you look at this Bengals team, um, it's going to be a dogfight with them and the Dolphins when you think about that first pick in the draft next year? Yeah, I think the Dolphins are worse, but the Bengals have potential to be worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at 0-4, um, you know, it, it surprised me. I thought they would be better. They they went to Seattle in the opener and almost beat the Seahawks. That's a that's as tough a place to play as there is in the NFL. And uh, they lost by one point. And I go, wow, this division's might be a little tougher than uh, people thought this year. And uh, the Bengals are just they're, they're just not very good. The potential to be the worst team in the NFL. That's not exactly. Uh what you're looking to hear from people, that's for sure. All right, let's switch over to the offensive side of things, Ed. And um, it was certainly an interesting offense for the Steelers. They kind of reinvented themselves in a lot of ways. And I guess we knew with Ben Roethlisberger out, they would have to do different things. And at least for one night, to me watching this attack, it almost reminded me of a college-type offense. Um, they ran some Wildcat. They did all kinds of flips and stuff um, from the quarterback. Let's start with Mason Rudolph, though. As a whole, back home, he goes 24 of 28, 229 yards, couple of touchdowns. He wasn't sacked. Now that high passer percentage, a lot of that is because of the really safe flip throws that he was throwing a lot of the time. But overall, I will say this, Mason Rudolph at home against a bad team, granted, looked like a pretty confident quarterback. What was your impression just seeing him work his way through the game? Yes, um, you know, you're right, Tim. I mean, a lot of those completions were virtual handoffs, um, but that doesn't take away from what he did. He he wasn't Ben Roethlisberger out there. You know, they didn't go deep uh, hardly at all, and um, uh, he he did get good protection, I thought, but even when uh, he had to see a scramble, you could see he, he had a plan when he scrambled. He was looking for things. Uh, it wasn't a panic scramble, if you will, and he got out of it any number of times. Well, he was not sacked, as you mentioned. I thought he played a nice game. It, it was a nice uh, game for him to build on. His teammates gave him the game ball yesterday, Monday. Yeah, and I think that's fitting, getting his first win as a starter. A couple um, specific plays kind of stood out to me. You mentioned him not being Ben Roethlisberger. There was one play in the third quarter where I think that if you hadn't seen the numbers on the players' uniforms and didn't know what was going on, maybe you would have thought Ben was in the game. It was the he scrambled out of the pocket and then kind of threw off his back foot and he found Vanette down the sideline who kind of, it ended up it wasn't really a back shoulder throw. He kind of threw it short and he adjusted and made the catch. Um, but it was a smart throw where he threw it, I thought, and it was under duress kind of off his back foot. That one reminded me of Ben and I, I thought that was one of his best throws of the night. Yeah, when I talked about him scrambling and, 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 and doing it with a purpose, that was the play I was thinking of, Tim. Yeah. He did. And when he when he threw it, I go, oh, boy, that's, that's not going to work. <laughs> and um, uh, the tight end made a nice catch of it, too. Um, he had to come back and, and, and scoop it up. Um, he, uh, he, he Maybe he it was a learning experience for him in San Francisco when he was rolling to his right and he threw a bad interception into, um, uh, you know, into coverage, and uh, he did not do that. He threw it short; that only the tight end could have caught it, and he did. So, yeah, he he, um, you know, he he did have a nice game, and 
Uh, again, he'll uh, he'll go against a different kind of defense, I think, Sunday uh, when Baltimore comes. Yeah, it's going to be a, a bigger challenge for sure. The other big throw was the 43-yard touchdown to Deontay Johnson, and Johnson kind of um, salvaged his night after that early uh, fumble and played well. Now, Rudolph on that play, it, was, it would have been hard to miss Johnson. He was wide open down the left side, and it was more of a Bengals defensive breakdown than anything. That said, I feel like all the short plays that they used throughout the game and the commitment to the run helped set up the fact that Johnson was able to get that open and because the Bengals maybe were so focused on the short stuff and that, that I, give the, I give the offensive play calling and give the, the offense as a wholesome credit, but they with all the short stuff, they did hit the long one when they needed to. Yeah, he was wide open, and you know that's what happens when uh, the, you gang seven and eight defenders around the line of scrimmage, which the Bengals were doing, and you know they saw what the 49ers did. Um, and the kids shook loose, and, and um, uh, the quarterback saw him. You know, Mason Rudolph did have two or three throws that uh, when I wrote it down in my book, I go, I, you know, pass to Juju or pass to Deontay Johnson. I, a couple times I wrote pass to no one because it was <laughs> seemed like there was nobody in the vicinity. I don't know if those were routes that weren't run properly or the young quarterback maybe reading a different thing. All right, let's get into the the short passes, the flips, I guess we could call them. Um, you don't see this a lot in the NFL anymore. There was once, a you know, the Wildcat ran its course through the NFL where everybody seemed to be running a little bit of it or, or a version of it. Um, the Steelers kind of went back to it and had success. Um, that may be partially because of the team they were playing as well. Um, the straight Wildcat was with Jalen Samuels, who did a little bit of everything in this game, and I think it was kind of refreshing to see. Um, do you think that's a one-game thing where they, they broke it out and they surprised the Bengals with it, or do you think Samuels is going to get a little more Wildcat play as the season progresses? Well, I wouldn't stick it in my pocket um, in the future, but I, I don't think they're going to use it quite as often, Tim. I uh, The Bengals had to be surprised. The Steelers have hardly ever shown that on occasion you remember Le'Veon Bell would take a couple direct snaps but um, I haven't seen that kind of thing since Cordell Stewart was a rookie in 95 and they would split Neil O'Donnell the quarterback wide and Cordell would take the direct snaps now the difference is Cordell was a quarterback in college and became a starting quarterback with the Steelers but in 95 he was more of a receiver he was that slash role that Bill Cowher put on him you know, receiver slash quarterback. So we, we in this sense, we really have never seen this from the Steelers, a, a running back uh, taking that many. I think he had seven snaps in the shotgun, um, completed all three of his passes, and I'm putting quote around passes because some of those <laughs> were flips too. Uh, but overall, he really had a good game. I mean, he only, he only ran for 26 yards on 10 carries, but uh, completed those three passes. Uh, caught eight of his own for 57 yards. I, I thought Jalen Samuels really, for this season, uh, kind of a coming out for him because they had been ignoring him. Yeah, and you mentioned in your story about Cower being in attendance on a night where they went back to kind of that Cordell Stewart offense. Um, certainly interesting. One stat that stands out from Samuels, um, he joined kind of a an interesting group of players. Over the last 10 years, only three players have had 25 yards passing, receiving, and rushing in the same game. Uh, Julian Edelman of the Patriots, Christian McCaffrey 
um, of the, the Panthers. They did it last year, and then Cam Newton has done it as well. So um, kind of a cool class to be in. It was a little different, um, obviously, Newton being a being a quarterback and those other guys threw more downfield passes, I think, as opposed to Samuel's little flips. But the flips count as passing yards, but they might as well be rushes. And I think from a Steelers standpoint, Ed, this is a team that wanted to reestablish that physicalness and the ability to run the football. And while the numbers count as passing yards, I think they did that with those flips. I mean, it was a chance to get, get your runner in motion and take the flip and, and turn it up field. But, um, it was really effective, and those type plays, I think, can, could maybe stay in the playbook a little more. Yeah, they could. Um, you know, Tim, uh, James Conner looked a lot better uh, Monday night than, than he had in the first three games, and they really needed to get him going. Again, 42 yards rushing uh, on 10 carries isn't a lot, but uh, he, he had eight catches for 83 yards, and what was the longest one to him, I Three yards, maybe. Uh, most of them were behind the line of scrimmage on those, uh, you know, virtual handoffs. So uh, they did get him going. Uh, Samuels, like I said, they'll only have more confidence in him. They should have had it anyway, but they'll only have more confidence in him going forward. Um, so I, I think uh, this offense took took some steps yesterday, Monday night. Yeah, Connor, 125 yards, basically total offense, which is what matters in the way they were doing things uh, with the eight catches and 83, um, the touchdown as well. And he um, he got banged up a few times and came back, and, and he just seemed to be really focused in on the game um, as, as far as getting the hard yards when they needed them as well. He left the hamstring injury, it's, came back, so... You think there's any lingering effects of that or the fact that he came back, I would think he'll be fine. But will he be checked out today? Oh, they always check them out the next day, Tim. Uh, I think it's an ankle, not a hamstring. Um, that's what gave him problems last year. He had a high ankle sprain that, uh, where it caused him to miss three games toward the end of the season. That's when Jalen Samuels came on. You remember he had 142 yards rushing in their win against the Patriots at home. So. Um, you know, that's one of those things you have to see as they go along. The, the, the good part about it is he finished the game. Yeah, he certainly did, and, and he did it well. And this team walks off with the victory. And we mentioned what it does in this division. Um, and it sets up what really is a huge matchup as far as the, the Ravens next week. Um, and it's a Ravens team that has been really interesting this season, Ed, and they've looked real great at times. Lamar Jackson looked like he had kind of found himself as a quarterback. And then at other times they haven't looked great. They've played decent competition as well. Um, It feels like that's going to be the first game of the year as far as the Steelers go that almost feels like a a playoff game because they're one and three. Is it still almost a must win for this team? I, I'm not going to say that this early. I thought uh, Monday night's game against the Bengals really was because they, they would have been on a downward spiral at 0-4. Um, you know, if they do lose, they're two games back. If they win, it could be tied. Um, so, in a sense, it, let's take the word must win out and use another one, better win, uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, uh, they better win uh, because um, they have they would have to then go to Baltimore go to Cincinnati, you know, two teams they've already had at home. Now, as far as the Ravens, and I know Mark will be looking, Mark Caboli will be looking ahead to that game a little more on Friday than we will, but um, they played three of the four, first four games at home. 
they crushed Miami, and everybody thought they were going to the Super Bowl. I thought they played well in Kansas City and lost. Uh, and uh, they came home and to all of Baltimore's disappointment, just laid an egg against the Browns, uh, giving the Browns new life and taking them down and creating what could be a real jumble in the AFC North. One other thing I wanted to touch on from last night's game, Ed, was halftime because it was the the Hall of Fame uh, ceremony. They honored, I mentioned Bill Cower off the top and, and a little later, Bill Cower was honored along with Heinz Ward, Larry Brown, and LB Nickel. Um, and I think the one guy, you know, I, I hear those names and I actually had to, as a, as a person that didn't grow up as a Steelers fan, I had to Google LB Nickel a little bit. I'm, I have to admit to that. And what did I find when I Googled him? But a story written by Ed Bouchette back from 2007. Um, so he was the guy that I feel like people maybe don't know as much about as as the other guys. Obviously, Heinz Ward and Bill Cow are very recent. And then Larry Brown in the 70s and early 80s. Um, but LB Nickel was... I think you said in that article, the best tight end in franchise history. Just tell people about him and what he meant to this organization because he goes way back to the beginning. Yeah, LB was Dan, was one of Dan Rooney's favorite players. In fact, um, they have a tapestry up at, the, up at their offices that has been around as long as I've covered this team and longer. Um, it was hung up in their offices at Three River Stadium. It shows a play. Uh, an offensive play from, I, I guess, the 50s in which uh, Nickel scored on a touchdown. And some some woman uh, put it all together. It's really a cool kind of thing. And uh, he, you know, he wasn't a, a star star, but he was, and some people still claim he was a wide receiver and not a tight end. Dan Rooney was emphatic that he was a tight end. So, uh, Everybody kind of fell in line that he was a tight end. Um, just uh, one of their early stars. You know, they were they were showing uh, at that halftime performance some of the plays um, that LB made, and it's all black and white film. And these quarterbacks, it looks like they're throwing a watermelon. The, the ball was bigger. It wasn't as tapered as it is now. I don't know how they threw it. It looked like they were almost trying to heave a shot put um, but he, he, they got it to him, at least on these highlights they did, and uh, it was kind of interesting to see. So the, the Steelers had some bad teams back then, and L.B. Nickel was one of, the, one of the players who really stood out. And L.B. Nickel uh, passed away back in February of 2007, but honored last night by the Steelers at halftime. He joins the, the Hall of Honor, um, as does, I mentioned, Bill Cower, and you got a chance to catch up with Cower last week. And he opened up a little bit about why he stepped away from the Steelers when he did. And, and he seems like he's in a really good place right now, Ed. Yeah, I kind of knew the story all along, Tim. But Bill has never kind of opened up like that about how his wife just, uh, he, he said, was not in a good place. Um, and um, they had gone to Raleigh, uh, her native state, and that's where they went to college together North Carolina State and met and they were they were looking for property for you know the days Bill would retire from coaching and instead of property they found a house they liked they bought it with the idea that's what they were going to retire and Kay uh, wanted to move there immediately well Bill had to decide between 
his family being in Raleigh all year and him being in Pittsburgh at least during the season and it just couldn't couldn't match that up how that would work and and he wound up uh, essentially retiring now he I think he was uh, still interested in coaching after that but could never it never a real spot that he wanted opened up and he loves it now I mean I I met I talked to him also before the game Monday night met his new wife uh, Kay you know died tragically a number of years ago his new wife V Victoria and um just just uh he's he's really has a nice life and as a 13 year member of the NFL today on CBS and and loves it now lives in New York City a little different than Raleigh <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, uh, really good restaurants in both those places, though. I will say that <laughs> Raleigh and North and uh, in New York, uh, Cower. Um, he's been at CBS almost as long as he was head coach of the Steelers, which is kind of crazy. But he's become certainly one of the uh, the focal points of that show. All right, Ed, we're gonna start. We're gonna do this all season long. It just took us a while to get to this segment, and that is the game ball segment. Um, when the Steelers win a game. We're each going to hand out a game ball. So um, I will let you go first since you were at the game. Uh, who do you want to give your game ball to? You know, this, as I mentioned earlier in this broadcast, the Steelers gave their game ball to Mason Rudolph. I, I can see that. I can see why they did. I'm going to give it to Jalen Samuels. Um, as you mentioned, uh, what only the third or fourth player to um, – to, to run for 25, pass for t- at least 25, and, and catch for at least 25. Um, I don't know if that offense works if he doesn't do that kind of thing yesterday. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to give him the game ball on offense, Tim. All right. I will, uh, I'll go with Rudolph. Um, I'll go with the obvious choice. The guy got the win. And the one thing I think that we didn't talk about earlier in the podcast was um, I was impressed, Ed, with you kind of – see the reaction of the teammates around a quarterback and it can sometimes be telling and when he hit Deontay Johnson in the long touchdown pass the offense the pure joy on the faces of the offensive linemen as they kind of huddled around him and and uh, hugged him was to me telling of the fact that maybe Mason Rudolph has has won over um, the locker room won over this team that, that they believe in him well yeah I, I, I it may be too early to say they really believe in him. They want to believe in him. He's a good Maybe guy. Maybe that's a better way, yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a he's a different kind of leader than Ben. Um, you know, he says all the right things. Uh, he studies like crazy. I'm, that doesn't mean Ben doesn't. I'm just saying his attributes. And, um, you know, he's not making the big mistakes on the field. He, he did throw that interception in San Francisco. So they know he's their quarterback for the rest of the year. And they, they really do want to rally behind him. He's their ticket now, Tim. He's their ticket. All right. So one last thought before we say goodbye on this podcast, they are one and three. They are one game back in the division. Um, having seen this team play Monday night and seen them play uh, throughout the season so far, Ed, in your gut, do you believe that this team can make a run and go from 0-3 and make the playoffs? I think they can make the playoffs because of the division. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I need to see more from this offense, Tim. I'm not sure I like the receivers overall. Um, they just they, they were struggling to get open. Uh, other than that, Deontay Johnson, wide open one. They were struggling to get open. Uh, they have a new tight end. Um, 
Moncrief again. Uh, they, they, I think he may have been out there for a play or two at the end, but uh, he's still, he's still in the doghouse. I, I, I don't know that Juju Smith, Schuster is a number one receiver like uh, the traditional number one. He, he needed somebody to stretch the field. Anyway, that's. Uh, uh, we'll we'll see as we go along, but I, I'm not sure. This is a Super Bowl team. I thought it. I thought it was a contender before the season. Um, of course, Ben Roethlisberger uh, getting injured helped change all that, and I I was giving more credit maybe to the receivers than I I probably should have. Yeah, and I think we're going to have to wait and see if Deontay Johnson can continue to improve as the season goes along and take some of that pressure off Juju Smith. Because, yeah, Juju doesn't seem to be the guy that that I think most people thought he would step right into that role. And maybe he will eventually, but there's still some work to do. But at least now the Steelers have the win under their belt and that work that they still need to do um, is in a situation where they're in the hunt for this division. So we'll see how it goes. And obviously the huge matchup, Coming up against the Ravens next weekend, and we will preview that one later in the week. That will be exclusively available on The Athletic, so make sure you subscribe. This one available on The Athletic, but also for free wherever you get your podcasts. That one, you need that subscription, so do that. You also get all the great writing from Ed and Mark Caboli as well and all of our writers around the country, so it's a no-brainer. But get your subscription, and you can listen to all these podcasts. If you don't follow Ed on Twitter already, do it. He's at Ed Bouchette. Easy to find him there. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of the Immaculate Podcast. 